Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenges you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. So the knowing today, knowing who you are is the key to becoming like Christ. If you find your identity in something, it's going to be hard for you to move forward because you're going to keep trying to build your faith based on something that's not yourself. The goal for your life, if you remember last week, is not for you to be comfortable. When you're comfortable, you tend to sit back in that easy chair in life, and then, then, then we have to react to life's circumstances. But when you are constantly moving forward in character and who you are, you're able to handle those circumstances a lot differently because you're living your life balanced spiritually, emotionally, and physically. So the goal for your life is not comfort, it's character. Remember that our growth as believers, as followers, as disciples of Jesus is gradual. That we grow by believing, belonging, and becoming. That's last week's recap. If you missed that message, I would love for you to go and, uh, and take a look. Today, let's lock in to who God says you are and how we're to move forward from this moment in this week at this time in 2020. And so the big question that many of us are still wrestling with is this, where did I get my identity from? And in all of that, we talked the differences between your self-esteem and your self-worth. And today, I want to remind you that your self-esteem is something that man has made up. This is a man-made word. You don't find it in the Bible because it doesn't exist. God says you you have self-worth, and he calls you a son or a daughter. He calls you a child. He says you're adopted. He says that he has chosen you, that he's called you, that he's given you purpose. He's given you direction, that he has a path for you. And so in all of those things, it's not about how you feel as you go. It's believing that God is in you, and he's called you to go. He's called you to go. He's called you to be before he called you to do. We are human beings. We are not human doings. And so we talk the differences in comparing and contentment and how when we compare ourselves to others, it steals our contentment. And then that pushes us to focus on what's what's next, what's next, what's next. And we can't even enjoy right now because we cannot be content because we've traded. We've traded in good and we've accepted not good enough. And so we run the race. We run a rat race and it constantly causes us to compare to others. Godliness with contentment is great gain is what we hear in first Timothy. And so then contentment, when you find contentment, you find that you are satisfied and you are fulfilled. And that's where God wants you to be not being silenced. But that's not it. Not taking a back seat, not sitting on the couch, not playing the quiet game when you go to work. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That means because you know who you are, you go and you go in peace. The peace of God is with you, that peace that passes all understanding. We read in 1 John 4, 4, that you already have victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. This is that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I am the head, not the tail, the top, not the bottom, above and not below. I am blessed coming and I am blessed going out, right? I have favor with God and all men. Therefore, God goes before me. He prepares my way. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's in me. It's who I am, right? We read in John 1, 12, but to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become, to become, become is huge, right? Sons and daughters. You can't force anything. This is this is where we go back to that race that we're running. We can't force it. We can't buy it. We can't. We can't watch it and, and osmosis happen. We can't pretend that it's real because th- there's a split 
in who we really are and what we really are. And so then at the end of the day, God says you are his. God says you are his and he bought you for a price so you could live in a purpose. And he did that because he has your best interest at heart. This is not about shelving everything that you've ever done to to give everything up and to live this life of solitude. Although I believe solitude has a place in our lives every single day from 30 seconds to 30 minutes, depending on where you're at in your walk with God. Solitude is a spiritual discipline, by the way. How can we get off on that? So then God has your best interest in heart. Remember, remember, you have been given a God-given purpose. Your purpose that God has given you does not change. You also fill a position your position does change. There are those, those are those two callings that are on your life. A God-given purpose, unchanging, was given to you before you were born, says he knew you before you were born. That is who you are and your position. This is a position. This is how you move forward, right, in your career, in your profession. That position changes, but it's the vehicle in which you live out your purpose, who you are. And so then position change changes purpose does not. Remember, before God knew you, he called you into existence. Now that God knows you, he keeps you in existence. He keeps you. This is Psalms 91. We covered that last week as well. God operates in the invisible. God operates in the invisible and we operate in the visible. We want to see it. We want to operate in the senses, right? We want to touch it, taste it, feel it, see it. No, we have, we have to, we have to have evidence. And when we have to have evidence, that's where we start to struggle, right? And then so then when we have to have evidence, we get lost in all of the externals. And we start paying attention to who says what and where and, and, and all of those. And, and we get lost in, in our who, right? And so we get lost in the, when we get lost in the externals, we forget to stand on the internal. The one who saved us, the one who called us, the one who chose us, the one who gave us that purpose. And getting lost in the externals is living by fear. And standing on what's inside of you is living in faith. It's living in faith, right? We have become very, very accustomed to looking at others to see what to do. Instead of looking to God, instead of looking to God and seeking who to be. And we understand who he's called us to be and how he's called us to walk and all the things that he's given us, how we are to become, how we are to become sons and daughters. We understand that God sees us differently. God sees us through the eyes of a savior, of a God who wants the best for you. You must believe this. You must believe that God sees you through Jesus. God sees you through his son. Today, if I look in the mirror, if you're like me anyway, when I look in the mirror, I see flaws. I see this thing that's been on my face for like 17 weeks now. I see all of these little bitty things that I really don't like that you haven't even noticed this. Okay? And, and not only that, but we tend to look back into the past and we, and we look back and we go, oh man, I, I really like, you ever realize that all the stuff in your past, like all the good things are like, they're like a checklist. Like, oh yeah, that was good. 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 But the things in your past that you don't like, they're like a book, right? Oh my gosh. You remember that time and all this happened and you can remember how you felt and how, and, and all of those just things, right? And when you look back like that, <laughs> it's heavy. It's the same as looking in the mirror. You see your flaws and all the things that kind of, um, that you don't like. 
all the mistakes that you that you made. And when God sees you, he doesn't see that. He sees you through blood that's covered you. That blood wipes away all of your sin, all of those mistakes. And Jesus' broken body says that all those blemishes that you have that you don't like and the imperfections are what make you unique. And he would say, you look exactly like I intended you to look. That's what makes you unique. What makes you, it, that those, the, our blemishes and our imperfections are what make us beautiful. That's how God sees his sons or daughters. Yes, yes, we could all eat better. We could all exercise more. But today you have victory because Christ is in you. So then you find your identity in Christ. And again, that's a process. That's a process. And so you must learn. It's a process that never stops. So we need to set a good pace. And as we set that good pace, we must be humble and not get lost on the externals. Because that getting lost on everything that's around you is, is a trap, right? You must live it. Refresh daily and trust it. There's got to be some trust in it. This is internal transformation. This is what character is. We must live it. This happens in me first before it happens through me, which is leading it. Being an example, because the greatest thing you're ever going to be is yourself, because when you're a true self, Jesus shines through you. You are the light of the world. This is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Let it shine before others so they may know. Let it shine before others so they may know. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you have to let go of, of what you think about when you see in the mirror and what you think about in your past because God says, I don't see either of those. I see you as a son or a daughter, and I forgot all that. And even though you can't forget it, just trust me, I've got it. It's as far that way as you can see and as far that way as you can see. And so then it's not like, don't worry about it. I've got it. Our identity as believers is what the gospel is all about. It's why the gospel exists. If we overlook this, the likelihood of moving forward in our faith is really tough. It's uphill and it's like that. So you better have some really good shoes and some ropes and some carabiners and all those things that you're going to need. Because if we do not identify with the gospel it's really hard to move in who God's called us to be. And so we must then live out what it means to be John 1, 12, to receive, to believe, and to trust. To receive, to believe, and to trust. Because learning, living, and leading the gospel begins with who you are as a son or a daughter. Because who you are, who you are fuels what you do. Who you are fuels what you do. What you do does not fuel who you are. It doesn't. So you can't find your identity in a do. You have to uh, find in a who that's first Jesus, and then it's you. Who you are fuels what you do. The Bible says this, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. On the flip side, works without faith is dead as well. Because it starts with who you are. God says he looks at your heart first, not your hands. Not your hands. So this isn't a ritual this isn't a rule that we follow. This isn't a rote religion. This is a relationship. God looks at your heart. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. The one common thread between who you are and what you do is your heart. Your heart is attached to both of them. That's where God looks. God looks at your heart. Is what you're doing because of who you are or is what you're doing because of what you're trying to do for yourself so you can get more, so you can be more, so you can climb that ladder and elbow your way to the top and all those things, right? God wants your heart. Heart transformation happens with an investment in your relationship with God. That is what it means to live 
like Jesus, right? It's a continual character development. It's what's happening inside of me, right? So what am I saying? I'm saying you can have all of the head knowledge in the world and you can have all of the desire in your heart, but if they're disconnected, my relationship with God is broken because I'm, I'm fighting the battle of my will and his will, my wants and his needs, right? My wants and his needs. This is where we see in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's a disconnect. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. So then when your head, so then what is in your head and your heart must be connected so people can see who you are in your hands and your feet. It's how you go. It's how you go. This is what it means to learn of who God, the Father, Jesus, Son, and the Spirit of God are the Holy Spirit, to live for them, those spiritual disciplines, to constantly be renewed daily and to be built up both individually and as the body of Christ and then to lead, to bring others along, to pass it on. So how do we connect our head and our heart? How do we connect our head and our heart? John 1, 12, receive, believe, and trust, and you will be royalty. Royalty. I know it's not that easy. I know it's not that easy. Here's how I know, because Paul in Romans tells us, Paul in Romans 7, 15 through 23, he says, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. And no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do what's right or do right. I want to, but I can't. But there's a lot of work within me that is at war with my mind. And what do I mean? <sighs> Paul later went on to the church of Colossians, and he taught this. He said, he said, Put to death what is worldly in you. He essentially says, I found the way. I found the way. It doesn't go away, but I found the way. Put to death what is worldly in you. That's Colossians 3, 5. And he says, put away what you lived in, in Colossians 3, 8. And I want you to know that that is past tense. Lived in. What you lived in. What you were. How you were. What you did. All those things, right? Put away what you lived in. It's past tense. It stays there. Stop carrying it. Stop carrying it. You can essentially set it down or lay it down. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 28, 30 says, Come to me, all of you who are tired and weary from carrying your heavy loads, and I will give you rest. The yoke that I give you is easy. It is easy. And the load that I give, the load that I give you, uh, the yoke that I will give you is easy. And the load that I put on you is light. Most of us carry burdens that God never intended for us to carry, Right? They're, they're, they're burdens of unresolved guilt and they're, they're burdens of unrealistic expectations. And what we do by trying, we're trying, right? We're trying to prove that we matter by carrying these burdens. We're trying to earn our way. I have to show you that I am important, that I matter. I have to show you that what I'm doing matters. I have to earn my way. And I just want to drop a little bit of truth on you this morning. The American church is in decline because people are sick and tired of trying to earn their way. When God said, put all that down, the unrealistic expectations, your expectations are your greatest frustrations. You've heard me say that. Put those down. The unresolved guilt, put that down. 
Stop trying to earn your way. There's nothing that you will ever do that's going to make God love you any more than he loves you right now where you sit. If you never got up again, he loves you the same now as if you were to go out and I don't know what. There's nothing you will ever do that's going to make God love you more than he loves you today. So then we have to get over trying to earn our way and understand and accept that we're good enough, that God sees you good enough today, right now, right as you sit, you're good enough, good enough. And just because the world says, no, 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 that stinks. You need to chase that. You got to get on the other side of not good enough. You're never going to get on the other side of not good enough because it's created by man. Not good enough does not exist. It's something that we chase. So we need to make more money. We need to have more stuff, have bigger house, have more cars. We have all this stuff. We have to have all this and then, and then it'll be good enough. And the reality is it's not. It's not because the more you have, the more you want. The more you make, the more you spend. You're never going to get to a place where it's good enough. You must accept it already is. It already is. And so then, if you... <laughs> If you're here today and you say, man, that's me. I can identify with that. I am sick and tired of trying to earn it. God is not keeping tabs on you. He doesn't have like all these detective pads, you know, where he flips over and goes, oh, didn't do that again today. Didn't do that again today. Uphill climb today, buddy. Good luck. That's not God. That's not God. Thank goodness for Jesus Christ right? We don't have to earn anymore. We don't have to earn anymore. That mindset and that mentality keeps you living in the Old Testament. Jesus confirms, the cross confirms that we do not have to work or earn or keep going or, or create a standard for ourselves to keep up with. We cannot live in the Old Testament. We have to get to the cross and we have to look past it. What's on the other side of the cross? Jesus, freedom, relationship, restoration with God the Father, right? This is why God sent his son, Jesus. It's the cross. So we can't just get there and say, man, thank God for that. Now I'm, I got to go back to work. Thank God for him. as Dude, he wouldn't come. I don't know. Who's... No, because, because it's, that's just one of those little bitty things that happens. And you realize this is a monumental moment in our history. Whereas everything that, that I didn't like in the that I don't like in the mirror and, and what I don't like behind me, that moment changes everything for me. That moment changes everything for me. Why? In everything. You don't have to prove that you matter. And I kind of went off there for a little bit. So you don't have to earn your way. You don't have to prove that you matter with God. You simply do because of Jesus. This means our doubts and our fears don't rule our lives. This means the uncertainty of our country doesn't rule our lives. This means regardless of who the president is, they're not our savior. They're not our savior. They're not my God. So then we must give God first place in our lives and receive and accept I am good enough. I don't have to earn my way or, or prove it. I just do. I just do. I just do. When I wake up in the morning and I find myself good enough, that if I don't win anywhere, if I don't move the proverbial bar up, 
If I don't move the ball down the field today, God still approves of me? Yes, God said he is pleased. He's pleased with you. Pleased has to do with who you are. So then, what do we do? Colossians 3.5, put off your old self. Look in the mirror and say, man, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Thank God. Thank God for Jesus. Restoration. Colossians 3.10 says, be your new self, renewed in the knowledge and in the image of your creator daily. Live it, develop, engage, and grow in your relationship. Become, become a follower. What's 3.10 saying? Never stop learning. Living his promise for you and who he says you are. Living his promise for you and who he says you are. That takes, that takes believing, right? Love and trust and some worship. That's what it's going to take. And then we can live in his promise, know his ways. We talked about ask, seek, knock, right? Then we lead like him. When we lead like him, what we've done is we've lived and we've grown our relationships and become better disciples comes out through us. Leading comes through us. We bring others along because one, we're not ashamed, but two, I can say, hey man, it's all good. It's all good. And I can share some of my experience with others. And they can see who Jesus is in me because, because I've taken time to live, to live for him. Learning happens internally. Living is a process. So learning happens internally, right? We have to get it out of our head into our heart. Living is that process of development, of growth. Leading is the action. Leading is the action. Everybody wants to lead right now. We want to show, we want to just, we want to just go. But without Without the process, without learning, and without the process of developing, we can't lead, we can't lead nothing, right? And so leading is the action. This is how we get what we know in our head to what we believe in our heart to what you see in our limbs. From your head to your heart, from your heart to your hands and your feet. Why? Why? The Apostle Paul reminds us of patience and perseverance in our faith from the perspective of living as examples of Jesus, right? He does this in Hebrews 12. This is where Paul's reminding us of patience and perseverance. He says, therefore, since we were surrounded by a ton of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and sin that holds us back and run with endurance the race that set out before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. What is Paul saying? What is Paul saying? If we are to grow in Christ-like character, verse one, get rid of all the things that hold you back, including your focus on the external things that hold you back. Lay it down. Verse two, focus. Remember, remember your memory is your motivation. Accept and trust in the one who saved you. You can't write your faith. You can't earn your salvation. You can't pay the bill. You can't pay the bill. But the things that you dislike, both when you look in the mirror and you look behind you, have already been paid for. Jesus did it. He wasn't concerned with the shame that you feel. He took that shame. He wasn't concerned with it. Any shame that's associated with anything, regardless of guilt, wrong place, wrong, it doesn't matter. Jesus took all that shame. 
And he only did that for you. He only did that for you. So today, you have permission to stop caring. Today, you have permission to stop dragging around the anchors that are keeping you. Today, you have permission to grow in your relationship with God, to believe, to belong, and to become a follower. God has already done this for you, right? So we have to let go. Our step is to let go. And we say, well, I really don't like the way I look in these 78 pictures. Can you take one more? And God says the first take is the first take is the first take is the most you. Don't you know that's why when you go and ride some roller coaster at a music park and they've got that camera that shoots the shot as you're going by, it's like and you see it, you wouldn't change one thing about that. That's your life. That's what God sees. You say, man, look at me. You don't say, ah, oh, crap, that, that mark is still on my face. Golly, I wish, I, I wish that camera was on the other side so they would have got the other side of me. Don't say that. You say, man, that was awesome. When God sees you, he says, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. He's pleased with who you are as you grow and become like him. So then we have to let go. We have to let go. If we're going to move forward in who we are, we have to let go. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. Because when you believe this and you walk in this, when you're willing to let go, when you're willing to understand that Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus paid it all. I never sing, by the way, so you're welcome. When you take his yoke, it is light. It's light because it comes with freedom. You live in royalty as a son or a daughter, which means you're walking out what John 1.12 is. Because the yoke that we are to carry when he says, take my yoke for it is light, the yoke we're carrying is our relationship with him, not our religion for him. I think that's right. The yoke we carry is only our relationship. It's only our relationship. A real relationship with God. So then you can live in real relationship with others because they see God in you. The race that we're running is loving one another, not doing anything. That's the race, right? We see that therefore, surrounded by clouds, put all this in the holds back, endurance, the race it out before you. The race in Hebrews, that race we're running is loving one another. We're, we're, we're to the last part of the message. Galatians 5, 3 says, For you have been called to live in freedom. Take my yoke. That's freedom. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That only happens as you become, as you develop and understand what God's love is for you. 
you can see how God's love is supposed to come through you to others. This is the race we're to run. The race is not really a race. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. And here's the reality. Your path is different. God's put a path and a purpose before you, right? Your development is your development. It's not somebody else's development. How you become like Christ is not. And so what you understand is this is a marathon, but it's a one-man marathon. The path that you're on might have more hills. It might have more valleys. It might have more curves. It might be more flat than somebody else's. But at no point when we're on the path, when we're in the process, can we look beside and say, hey, where are you at? You in Ephesians today? I'm in Ephesians today. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've already read that. I've already read that. No, it's your path. It's your path. And you're walking with millions of believers. And God has us all on a different path, but we started the race at the same time, and we will end this race at the same time. Why? Because it's your path. It's your path. It's not, well, here we go again today. Hey, hey, brother. No, it's you. It's you. All of our paths are different. God's goal for you is not comfort. It is Christ-like character. So your path does not look like the path of the person next to you, even though they might be standing or sitting right next to you right now. There are so many people right now looking for Jesus. They're looking. They're looking for God. They want to know, hey, where? And they don't even know it. They don't know it, but they're really looking for you. They're looking for Christ in you. They're looking for Christ through you. So many people sitting around you. And so you can't take the seat that they're in because God's put you on a path to develop and to be the light of the world. Let it be known. Let it be known in your circle, in your regroup, where you're at. Let it be known. Well, it's not perfect. Do you see this? Do you know where? Doesn't matter. We don't use our experiences to one-up each other. We use our experiences to help each other along. Oh, yeah, come on. We use our experiences to help each other up. Yeah, yeah, it's not the end. The Bible says you're going to fall down seven, but you're going to get up eight. Hey, guess what? Next time you fall down, I'm going to be right there with you. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. If we would lead our faith with our actions because of what's in our heart, because of who we are, right? That's, that's what the people who are around you are looking for. They're looking for you, the believer, today to lead your faith with your actions because of what is in your heart, because of who you are. What are you saying? I'm going to quote Mother Teresa here. Mother Teresa said this. She said, be an example, even if you have to use words. Be an example. What's that mean? Does a light ever speak? No. Nah. You know where it's at, though. And right now, a lot of people are looking for light. And they know, because that light is hope. That light is hope. If I can just get to that light, the burden I'm carrying is going to be lighter. And as believers, we understand, you don't have to carry that burden. I gave that burden up a long time ago. I stopped listening to those people a long time ago. I stopped doing that a long time ago. I stopped trying to be that a long time ago. Why? It's a waste of time. Because we're to stand on what we have in us not what's around us. Be an example, even if you have to use words. So what's the action step? The action step to Galatians 5.13 is this. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 together. 
Because we have to identify where we are, not just where we were, right? We have to identify where we are. Because 10 weeks later, (laughs) 10 weeks later, in this series of God said, what if you've engaged consistently, if you've engaged consistently, you should be in a different place today, spiritually, emotionally, than you were 10 weeks ago. So this is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. This is verses 1 through 10. And you, and you, you, that's each of us. It's not me to you, it's you. We all take ownership of that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Come on. We all, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under the wrath as those, as others were also. But God, but God, have you seen but God about 87,000 times the last two weeks in your social media feed? Here we go. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. That's Jesus. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, You are saved by grace. Grace. You're saved by grace. Grace is given freely. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You can't do this. You can't. Earn it is what he's saying. It's God's gift. It's God's gift. Not from works so that you can boast and say, look what I did. Before we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk, so that we should walk in them. I love verse two, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature under wrath, as the others were also. We've all been there. In the mirror, behind us, we've all been there. We've all been there. But God, in verse 4, rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, us, well, because of the great love he had for you, made you alive with Christ, even though you were dead in your trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised you up and seated you in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to you, to you in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from or done by yourselves. It is God's gift to you. Not from your works so that you can take credit for it. For you are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared ahead of time so that you should walk in them. That's it. You take that. Take that. Ownership. Believe. Belong. Become. Believe. Believe that. 
<laughs> Throughout this series, we have learned that God has called us, that He's chose you, that He's chose me, that He's given us purpose and passion and spiritual gifts and abilities. We've learned that Christ-like character is way more important to God than our comfort. We've learned about constantly asking in prayer, seeking, seeking God, and knocking. We've learned that ultimately our path is filled with learning, living, leading, and loving others as we love ourselves, just like Jesus does. Today, we take ownership of Ephesians 2.10. Understanding Ephesians 2.1-9, we can boldly get up off our couch and stand on what's inside of us and believe, for I, for I am his workmanship created in Christ, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that I would walk in them. That's it. Take ownership of the scripture. That's how it transforms your life. Yeah, that's to you. This is what God left for us. This is what God left for us. He said prepared. He prepared beforehand, before he knew you. There was a purpose. He already knows what you have, by the way. So sitting there today, you would say, well, Dusty, if all that stuff and who I am, and, and, and I just want to let you know that God is looking over your shoulders and he sees your cards. He knows the cards that you're holding. And he knows exactly what you need. And, and when you trust this, when you believe this, he pulls a card off the table and slides it right in there. It's exactly what you need to say. Take that. I win. That's it. God, you, God uniquely gifted you to fill a unique purpose here on earth. Not the same as somebody else's. You're the only one like you. You're the only one like you. Your experiences are unique. And they have the capability of blessing and building the body, the big C, the capital church. But only if you will walk in them and trust them. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift of his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. How do we do that? Ephesians 5.2, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us, loved you, and gave himself for you as a fragrant offering and, the sac and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Walk in love. When you walk in love instead of fear, when you walk in love instead of offense, you start flowing in your gifting. Assuming we've taken ownership of everything else we've talked about today. And what happens is when we walk in love instead of fear and offense, we walk in our gifting. Who you are makes a difference in the lives of others. Whew, dude's different. Dude's different. Because the gift inside of you is shining through because you're being the light, the light of the world. Because the reality is, is how we are gifted here on earth is preparation for heaven, right? This is preparation for heaven, where we're all going. And so then you can't sit here and believe that, man, this is terrible, you know. When I get to heaven, I'm just going to sit around and wait for my turn to play the piano or the, the, <laughs> the mandolin or the harp. We're all not going to be sitting there. We're going to serve. We're going to serve there. And we're going to serve out of the abundance of our hearts. We're going to serve with gratitude in our hearts. Out of love and honor and respect. 
not because we have to. It's not a job that we do, right? It's not a ritual that we do. It's because of what we have received, eternal life. And if I'm, if I'm being 100% just transparent, I don't believe the people who feel like they have to make it very far in heaven. Because the proof on earth is the same. The people who feel like they have to always have tend to have that negative attitude and tend to be stuck, right? They don't get very far. They don't get very far. And so then that's not the mindset that we can have with our spirituality either. We all know the people who barely get by. They're just a get-by guy. No, no, no. I don't get paid to do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. No, I just do this, man. And I'm going to do this as slow and stay as I can because I get paid by the hour. Okay? Just do this. And the get-by guy is what keeps everything from moving forward. Right? Because he feels like he has to. It's the difference between got to and get to principle. We use this all the time. It's got to, get to. If you feel like you got to, ah, it's heavy. But if I look at it like I get to, Limitless options, right? This means we need to be on mission, which means living for Him and leading like Him because God made us for His mission. Just as the Father, Father God, sent Jesus, His Son, to do His will, so the Lord sends us to do His mission, right? It's John 14, 12. For I've done great things, but I'm going to the Father. Because I am, you're going to do greater. He's waiting for that still, okay? Remember the prayer that, that Jesus prayed to God for unity in John 17, right? It's John 17, he says, just as you sent me in the world, I'm sending you into the world. Go. Reference chapter 14. I'm going to the Father. I've done, I've done really good things, but you're going to do greater. But you're going to do greater, right? He's made you for a mission because just as his Father sent him on a mission, he sends us on mission, Paul explains our mission in Acts 20, 24. Stay with me. Remember. Remember Paul. Paul was more than committed. Okay? Paul was more than a committed Christian. He was compelled. He said, woe to me if I do not. Paul was compelled. That means he took everything on the table and was all in. In Acts 20, 24, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now, that's our mission. Telling others the good news about the grace of God. It's how we live out the Great Commission on earth in the position that we're in. That position is the vehicle to show people who you are, who you are, what your purpose is. This is how, this is how we get to be be the church. It happens through us. It happens through you because of who we are as individual believers. And then we show up together. It's a movement. It's a movement, right? It's a movement. God has a message that he wants to explain through you to the world from your path and your perspective and your experiences because your path is your path. The gospel message is this. It's very simple. I'm closing. This is the gospel message. You say, what message? What message am I sharing? What does God want me to say? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. 
yet suffered and died in our place on the cross. So that we would have to bear no wrath with God. Okay? Because of our shortcomings and our sins. So he did, he took that place. Then he was buried. After being beat to death, mind you. Okay? He was buried. He rose three days later. He beat death. He beat death. And God now offers forgiveness to everyone, right? Because of his son, because his son died to save you. And it's not just forgiveness, it's eternal life. It's living forever. It's Psalms 34, 8. Psalms 34, 8 says this, Find out for yourself, this is a contemporary English version. Psalms 34, it says, Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Happy, happy are those who find safety in Him. Peace. What is it saying? Open your eyes. Open your eyes today. Open your eyes today, Lord. Open people's eyes today. Open your eyes. See how good God is. Because blessed are those who run to Him. Blessed are those who run to Him. There's really only one thing I need to say to you today to sum up the last 10 weeks. Find out for yourself. Find out for yourself. Open, open your ears. Open your eyes to the goodness of God. Open them and see not just what's around you, to the goodness of God. Receive the love of God today. Trust it. Trust it. Because no human being is ever going to love you the way that God loves you, like your Creator does. Nobody's ever going to love you like Jesus loves you. I don't know that. Think about this. Think about this today. If somebody loved you so much that they were willing to die for you, that's pretty special. If somebody loved you so much that they died for you, they died for you, just look around you. What would that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Let's not forget this is really what happened. What does that mean to you? If somebody loved you so much that they died for you, wouldn't you want to know them? Wouldn't you want to be able to at least shake their hand? Say, thank you. Thank you. Right? That happened. That happened. His name is Jesus. Happened several thousand years ago, and so we... We become numb to it, and a lot of us have forgotten. And a lot of, and then, and then, you know, you have people behind us who don't believe anymore. And the only way they believe is to see it through you. It happened. He died for you. He died for you and for me to pay everything. To pay for the things that I've done wrong. So that, so, so that I wouldn't have to deal with all the stuff 
that I've done wrong so that I could live my life on purpose. That's why. That's why. Because he knew you before the creation of the world. And he knew you were going to be distracted. He knew that you were sinful. He knew that you'd fall short. He knew that you see yourself in the mirror every day. He knew that you'd remember all those things behind you. And so he said, son, I have something for you. That's what I need you to do. And Jesus was obedient. And Jesus was obedient. And because he did, we can now believe and live life on purpose, in purpose, for purpose. That's it. And the reality is this, to ignore that purpose, to ignore your purpose, to get it confused with your position, to get lost in the things around you, okay? To find your identity in what you do, to ignore your purpose is an enormous waste of your life. God put you here for one reason, and that's for you to grow. Because when you get better, we get better. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about what's happening here at Redefine Church, you can visit us online at liveredefine.com. Follow us on social media at Redefine Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.